Welcome to the 68th episode of the Machine Ethics Podcast. This episode, we're talking to Richard Bartle, academic, consultant, and the creator of the MUD engine. Our conversation was recorded on the 8th of December, 2021. We talk about the metaverse, AI-controlled NPCs, the lack of progress of AI in games, the fact that humans can game gaming AI, designing AIs as part of the creative intention or process, and ethical considerations that that brings up, ethics of AI life and identity and personhood of AI, the fact that smart or superhuman AI will happen, and different aspects of robot rights. Richard Bartle is also featured on episode 65, the AI and Games Deep Dive episode. We also have a minor warning for those who have strong religious beliefs. If you'd like to find more episodes from us, you can go to machine-ethics.net. You can contact us at hello at machine-ethics.net. You can follow us on Twitter at machine underscore ethics or on Instagram machine ethics podcast. If you can, you can support the podcast at patreon.com forward slash machine ethics. Thanks very much and hope you enjoy. Hi, Richard. Thanks again for coming and talking to us on the podcast. If you could please introduce yourself, who you are and what you do. Uh, Hi, folks, then. So um, I'm Richard Bartle. I'm a professor of computer game design at the University of Essex in England. I'm best known among people who've been doing games for a very long time, having co-written the first virtual world, MUD, from which the $30 billion a year online, massively multiplayer online games industry came about. Um, not that I see any of that. Uh, at the moment, I teach, well, uh, depends on the students. So, so sometimes I teach very smart people. Sometimes I pe- teach people who shouldn't be at university. But the subjects I teach are computer game design. Great. And I remember, because we spoke um, on the AI and games episode um, about some of this stuff. And I remember doing the interview with you and then realizing how integral your work was and just being like, oh yeah, like, I do remember that, those ga- <laughs> kinds of games. Cause you know, I'm of an age where I was on the cusp of, you know, those text adventures when you had MS-DOS, you didn't have very good GUI systems and you had text games and you had very low graphical games and stuff like that. And I think I must've played some games which were similar, maybe not on, not multiplayer versions, but that sort of yeah. textual adventure stuff. And then into the nineties and started to see things like the internet and see uh, LAN parties, like, you know, and I guess that is more prevalent in uh, universities and places where they were already kind of linking themselves up, linking the, um, the system together and, how that's influenced basically kind of all of gaming since then in in, in a variety of ways, you know. Um, but it was exciting um, to kind of realise that and go, oh, yeah, that is, that is amazing. So uh, well done, Richard. <laughs> well, I can't make claims for LAN parties, but um, yeah. but for the, the concept of a virtual world that um, persistent, real-time people play as individuals, um, shared worlds those those um certainly are derived from mud although we would have got them anyway but um just happened that we were uh not just the first but um other people picked up the idea because mm. you can be first and people not pick up the idea yeah 
Yeah, definitely. Um, and I guess a lot has changed in that time. Um, you know, just pure visuals has changed, obviously, but also the interactions have have more verbs and things like that. And no, they don't. They've got fewer verbs. Fewer verbs. <laughs> yeah, yeah, the yeah. interactions. Yeah, because if all you can do is press a button or click a, an icon, mm. then you've only got as many interactions as you've got buttons and icons. But yeah. with text, you can type whatever you like. If I say, if I want to um, laugh, I can put laugh, which is okay. I've got to hit five characters for that instead of pressing the laugh button. Yes, but yeah. I can laugh happily, laugh um, with a wry smile, laugh coldly, laugh ha I can just, I can do it as many different ways as I want. So there are many more verbs. I mean, we had well over two hundred commands in mm-hmm. um, my game Mud, and uh, that was ignoring synonyms. You know, like. K for kick or um, hit and smash and you know things that are similar. Yeah. There's many more verbs in the past. Um, people today have got far fewer choices and much fewer new nuances than they had before. Mm-mm. Yeah, and um, it's interesting how that, because that's quite a lot of, like, as you've pointed out, it's a lot of complexity, maybe not for us because it's derived from things that we might want to do, right? It's like uh, we might want to laugh with another player. Um, yes. But for maybe a player which is non-player character, like we discussed in the, the other episodes, where we have kind of AI-controlled systems, then that's quite a lot of complexity um, to, to deal with, presumably. Yeah, but the AI um, systems back in the, the day, the text mm. days, they were we pretty well used the same commands that the regular players did. So anything a player could do, so could the non-player characters. They just, they call the function instead of the, it being as a result of a pa- parsing a player's command. So mm. the, um, they were far more integrated into the world. Um, it wasn't always, I mean, it was often the case, but it wasn't always the case that the non-player characters had one job and that was to be killed. Uh, some of them would be doing other things. They'd be going right. out killing monsters. There'd be all sorts of things. Yeah, yeah. So they had their own uh, agency, if you like. They would be interacting yes, with yeah. the world. Yeah. Yes, not all that sophisticated because the computers weren't all that complicated, um, weren't that powerful. So um, we couldn't do as much as we wanted to do, but um, we could certainly do a lot more than you can do when there are 10,000 players in the same server all trying to grab hold of a, a piece of CPU to uh, handle their commands. And I guess what is the, you've got these two things, you've got like the reason why you would have non-player characters or or, con, or AI controlled characters, controls, characters that are controlled in some way by software, right? Yeah. Uh, so like, why would you do that? And then the, the kind of more technical view is like, how, like, how can you do that? Like, um, do you, you could give us a brief view to maybe how it has been done and how it could or is or could be done currently okay well the reason that you would want non-player characters to act intelligently it ultimately comes down to um very similitude um or what we used to call in the back back in the day realisticness and the reason we called it realisticness was because Mm. we tended to use it in the negative things were said to be unrealistic if they didn't make sense so if you've got non-player characters who don't do anything when you hit them well that's unrealistic and Mm. the idea of the virtual world is to draw you 
in so that you can believe that the world is real, although objectively you know it isn't. But if you believe it's real and it behaves in a real manner, that means that you can make predictions as to what's going to happen. If I do this, this should happen. It does. Mm-hmm. Um, it, um, this here doesn't seem to do what it should do. Why doesn't it do what it should do? Is it because there's a bug in it or because I'm not doing something right? And if you can trust the designer because there's so much um, in the past that you thought of that works mm-hmm. as it should, then then that gives you a sense that the world is living and complete. So that's why you want non-player characters to behave as if they were um, intelligent. It's because it brings more to the human players who are playing the game. The world seems more real to them than if they're effectively talking to clockwork characters. So that's why you'd want to do it. Now, with graphical games, they don't have to do that quite as strongly as we did in the text games because for graphical worlds, the graphics themselves bring a lot of realisticness with them so merely by seeing something that looks kind of real then you mm-hmm. cut a lot of slack the, the the way that they behave the monsters in many virtual worlds isn't all that smart um, mm-hmm. they tend to run on rails until they're interrupted and then they've got um, behaviors which they then um, pick up now the way that they act at the moment in virtual worlds tends to be um, rule-based. There's Mm -hmm. what they call decision trees. Essentially, if this condition is true, you do this. If this condition is true, you do that. Um, And you're just following. It can can just be a list. Just do the first thing. There are other ways you can do it um, that some um, games companies have been experimenting with. There's a Monte Carlo tree search, which is where you move at random. You just choose, well, you don't actually move. You just Mm -hmm. run the simulation at random as many times as you've got a budget for. And then whichever um, outcome gives you the the best result, that's the one you do. And that's very effective in um, strategy games. Um, Some of the creative assembly games are like that. The, 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 well, I can't remember what they're Total War? Um, yes, that's the yeah. one. Total yeah. War, yes. God, yeah. I, I, I kept thinking of Shogun because the first one was yeah. based on a board game called Shogun that right, I have. Right. Um, yeah. Yeah, sorry, anyway. But but they, but they so it, it works quite well for those. But for individual characters, they don't really tend to do sensible things. And the reason for this is because they're not really thinking ahead. Hmm. So um, when we first started adding AI to the games... Um, yes, originally it was just simple hard-coded rules, but then we gave them what was um, uh, AI planning. Um, it's a mm. system for um, looking ahead, um, basically a search system. And um, that was my, my PhD was in planning, which right. I did that deliberately in order to give AI com- um, capabilities to my NPCs. Mm-hmm. So what this means is that they can create the plan of what they're hoping to do and then follow it. Mm. So it gives intention to what they're doing. And furthermore, you can stop the character and um, and, and uh, query it. You know, why are you doing this? And, uh, well, I'm doing this, you'll do this. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you can also um, 
use it for quest generation, although we never actually did it that back in in, in the day, but you could. So um, what is my plan? My plan is to rule the world. How can I rule the world? Well, I can either rule it militarily or through government, or um, I could um, lead a, a cult. Okay, well, let's say you wanted to lead a cult. How do you lead a cult? Well, either form my own cult or find an existing cult and become the leader. Well, let's say I want to um, find an existing cult and become the leader. How do I do that? Well, is there an existing cult nearby? Yes, there's one. I shall mm -hmm. join that. And then I have to make it true that I'm the leader. How do I do that? Well, you can you can see how it expands yeah, yeah, or alternatively yeah. you just say, well, um, I shall look for a, I shall post a level 18 quest, make me the leader of this. Mm. And then somebody goes off, um, they do the quest, kill the existing leader, bribe them, whatever, and then you get promoted. And now you're the leader of that cult. So, mm. So you can generate quests from this as well. So it's quite a powerful system. And also it tends to use the same types of functions for actions that the games themselves use or at least used because mm -hmm. nowadays they don't tend to use the same they're they're much much simpler today's mmos have got a much simpler um uh, command system to them it's there are areas where they where they're um, they're better but uh, today nobody nobody talks to npcs but in the past sometimes some mmos you could talk to them some mods yeah cool well i guess there's a lot in there i guess yeah. um <laughs> i i like the idea that you've got this like almost um you've got this lineage of like the, the planning aspect means that you can you can almost ask an npc a question and they could query that planning and go yeah. well yeah, what are you going here. to do next yeah I know. Yeah, yeah exactly yes. like, why are you doing this is look above how are you doing this is look below and what are you doing next is looking next to it. It's only yeah. if they want actual timestamps that it becomes tricky because they don't have timestamps. Mm -hmm. Well, they can, but it's it's a real. It, it stops being planning and starts becoming scheduling. Right, right, okay, uh, it's, yeah, yeah. There's like um, yeah intricacies there, I guess. So, what kinds of things do you think are good about what are currently happening in in this kind of arena, almost, or this idea of? Um, shared virtual spaces is that is that something that is currently piquing your interest or is um something which is just really fascinating no um <laughs> the, th the thing is that it's because of the emphasis on graphics it's really slowed things down and um many of the people who are working in the industry have great ideas things they really want to implement but if it's going to cost 25 million dollars to roll the dice no one's going to take that chance yeah in a text game you could do that you could you could spend three months writing a text game and up oh, didn't work or whoa but now mm. no so many of the ideas people are having have been had already and they'd love to implement them i'm not saying that mm. the people working in the industry are um, without ambition or imagination far from it but mm. the um the the conditions at the moment are such that it's very difficult because you need all the assets and you need all the, the, the even the security uh, is, is different to what it was in the past. Mm. Um, if it were the case that you could, like in the 90s, download a server, set it up for yourself, run it for 30 people, 100 mm. if you're really lucky, um, 
and then just toy toy with it, tinker with it, add things, then that would be fine. But today, say you wanted to add a new monster, mm-hmm. well, you got to get a new monster. Where where are you going to get that from? In yeah. in mud. If I say, okay, I want to have vampire pixies, I don't have vampire pixies. I had a vampire, so I knew roughly what properties vampires would have pixies they're kind of like small peoples um, with a bit of magic to them so i'd say well we need these properties from here these properties from here maybe a couple of extra properties bit of a description uh, plonk it in the world and 20 minutes half an hour later there's your vampire pixie Mm -hmm. maybe even uh, sooner but if i do that in a graphical world you've got to do the same thing and then where am I going to get a vampire pixie model? Yeah. Where am I get a three D rigged representation? Well, I can't. All I can do is take an existing something that looks a bit like it, and then try and um, give it a different texture. And yeah. then I've got to spend time doing the textures. So I, I just can't do it as an individual. And ordinary, you know, people can't do it as an individual. And even small studios can't do it. In time, they will be able to. In time, mm. you'll be able to go on to asset stores and buy, oh, I think I'll have the fantasy world. Oh, this one here has only got three pagodas, but that'll do fine. And and, and just get the whole lot and it'll just be available. Mm. But um, not yet. So for me, I, I wonder if there's like some of the newer kind of AI tools and, and, and methods as well have a place to play in this as well. Like... We were talking about NPCs previously. Are there other methods that are useful or could be useful um, in creating non-player characters or yes. facilitate those worlds? Yes. Well, there are. The um, One of the decisions you have to make um, when you're using AI is, is this AI part of the design process? So am I using the AI to help? create the world because i can't create this many planets all at once mm-hmm. um, it, um are you using it um as part of the um the control structure so the um in order to make these creatures behave i need to have some ai behind it and i can do a lot of work behind the scenes to find mm-hmm. out what the optimum thing is and give that behavior to them and then the third option is do you want it to be dynamic so it's the same as the second one but they learn Mm. So every time you come along and attack the the dragon, well, the last time you came along and attacked the dragon, um, you beat it using this strategy or tactic. So the next time you come along, well, mm. is aware of that tactic and doesn't make that same mistake. We can do that. We can do that now. But the, mm. the thing mm. is that if you if you do do that, then players end up um, not so much playing the game as gaming the AI. So in some games um, where they've had AI components for years, things, well, very simple um, dynamic um, changes in behavior, things like race race games where you've got rubber banding mm. so that if you're too far ahead, then they speed up the cars behind. And if you're too slow, they slow down the cars in front. And so long as you don't know it's doing that, it's quite exciting. But as soon as you realize it mm. is, then, well, in that case, I shall um, play slowly until the final lap, and then I shall race ahead. Um, uh, in the civilization games uh, that I play quite a lot of, um, mainly Civilization 4, or 6 is such a crank crock of a mess. <laughs> but, um, 
in the civilization games, they um, they slow down technological development of the opposed the AI controlled sips mm. to match your own. So that if you if you're too low, then they won't be advancing. But if you, and if you're advancing quickly, they'll advance quickly. So the thing to do then is well, I guess I'll not advance all that quickly. Mm-hmm. Just stay roughly in the top, you know, top one, two, three. Um, because as soon as I do invest everything in here, then the opponents are just going to get a, 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 a dial turned and they'll be higher. Yep. So gaming the AI. I feel it's like un- you've just spoiled uh, Civilization for me now. Oh, well, I, I think that um, <laughs> the later designers did that. Um <laughs> The, the general idea of having AI that can learn, well, if you're constructing a game and um, you want to give your AI, your players a fixed AI, well, then they could learn that. And they could learn that from some kind of um, neural network, um, observing human players play and f- um, attempting to um, create something which acts like human players do. Mm-hmm. Now that's certainly possible, and then you can put that in, and it doesn't need any any learning. So that once you've learnt the strategy to beat it, it you will beat it um, uh, in future. But the, um, the the question then is: Well, uh, do we want to add some learning capacity so that next time? It, Every time you play, it's adding to the neural network and, it, and it's developing. And suddenly, one day, it will behave differently. Yeah. Uh, so it's like if you're playing one of the um, football management games and you always use the same formation. Eventually, your opponents say, "The guy's always playing four-four-two. So maybe if I played four-three-three counterattack, I'll beat him this time. Mm-hmm. Uh, this time. So, uh, in some sense, uh, cases that's what you want, and in some cases, it's not what you want. Um, the other other methods you can um, you can have them not so much learn from what the players are doing, but construct their own strategies and see if they work against you. So um, then you'd be using something like um, genetic algorithms. We've got a set of rules, mm-hmm. and the rules can be put in any number of different permutations and the, the order you try them. And so you. You try them, play them against each other, see which mm. ones win, and eventually you get a local maximum or several local maxima, uh, which are the best strategies, and then you give those to your individual. Here you go, um, Gandhi, you use this one, and here you go, um, Washington, you use that one. Um, so you can do that kind of thing, and that would give some kind of personality to the uh, opponents, yeah. and it would also mean that the players would have multiple um, strategies to learn, all of which were quite good because they'd been tested. <clears throat> and they're, are they less dynamic in that situation, even though they've got this? Well, they they can. It's, again, yeah. they can be fixed or they can be made dynamic. But if mm. you're playing against one and it's um, it's experimenting and you absolutely whip it, then yes, from an AI perspective, that's useful because now mm. I know not to do this. But from your perspective, you've just had a you just wasted your time playing the game because. It was a pushover, so you've got to you've got to balance that. Um, game balancing, by the way, is another area where it comes in handy. So if you've mm-hmm. got something with a ton of different units or a t- 
ton of different character classes and abilities or or many of the card-based games mm -hmm. then every time you add up any more you need to balance it and that is a a big tricky job mm. but you can use ai to um to run simulations that will uh, um find where the the holes are and um inform the designer then the designer can decide well shall i increase that lower that or shall i listen to your recommendation of what to do and then do it and mm -hmm. um, that form of um balancing computer-aided des design of game balancing it's it's useful i mean yeah. it speeds things up but you wouldn't want it to take away the designer's creativity because you maybe really really want this um a particular card or particular um, model figure to be much better than the rest because it's so rare yeah. that uh, you want to be able to sell it for a huge amount of money. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Whatever the kind of design yeah. goals are, I guess. Yeah, yeah. And I guess with that case, you're you're looking for dominant strategy at that point. You're kind of like, you know, in this wealth of kind of dials and things that we could dial up and yeah. down or these numbers. There's a lot of variety of things that can happen. Can we make sure that there isn't something that we don't want happening? You know. Yes. Yes. Basically. Yes. If we put if we put all, all the faders up to maximum here and these yeah. down here, then is it going to uh, deafen the player? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yes. It's like that. Yeah. That's that's cool. That's that's a really useful um, kind of mechanism almost because you're, you know, it's a tool that you can use with the designer to help you design as opposed to, you know, just wholesale yeah. doing design. Yeah. yeah. And external factors could be brought in. You could be saying um, these units here um, are categorized as being rare, so they have to be more powerful. Um, but uh, so you can you can add in these extra factors, but you can't add in the what the designer is trying to say through their design, um, because mm -hmm. if the designers are trying to say something it might be something that they can't articulate except through their design which is why they're game designers mm -hmm. um and if, if all you have is the um the ai to to do it then that's that is it's taking away from the designer the designer can't say no that has to be more powerful but why it's a weak unit yeah but it has to be more powerful than it is but then people will will, will use that unit yeah i know they will and that's yeah. the point but but it needs to be there just it has now if the designers wants to do that then they should be allowed to and you, sh mm. and you shouldn't let the um the, the metrics um dominate the game yeah it's almost like uh, it, uh, the, the way that you're describing it then it was like you were fighting this other little mm. kind of computer-based designer and they were like well, no but we know the, the better way of doing it and you're like no but i've i was trying yeah. to tell you that we've got this plan right you know yeah. yes <laughs> yes later on this super character is gonna die or it's gonna yeah. transform yeah. something's gonna happen to that but i need that character there you don't touch it don't not touch yeah. that character. there's this feeling i'm trying to you yes. know, you yes. make the player experience or whatever. Mm. Um, um, I think we mentioned briefly last time that you have this, um, you know, we can talk about ideas of the metaverse and things like this, which are, you know, quite, quite old ideas now, even though it's been kind of reinvigorated recently. Um, and we talked briefly about um, some of the kind of ethical issues that you might find in games. 
But I'm kind of interested uh, this time to kind of discuss a bit further um, what the future of this space might look like. And for you, what is kind of um, really interesting to think about in this space? Um, uh, for me, for example, it's kind of, you know, what does it mean to make a kind of ethical agent? You know, how does that look and how do we actually achieve that? Um, and those sorts of things are only going to become more prevalent when we have, you know, more richer experiences or um, more time spent in the metaverse. I'm, I've got air quotes here, <laughs> things like that. Yes, because all the people who advocate the metaverse are uh, advocating different ideas of what it is. Well, I've got nothing against the metaverse because mm -hmm. I think that all the work that's going to be done on it will help with virtual worlds. But I don't think the metaverse itself is necessarily, uh, um, as conceived, a wonderful idea. Anyway, um, with regards to ethics, okay, so there's ethics of players, there's ethics of designers, and mm -hmm. these are the kind of things that are studied nowadays. You, I mean, there are entire games modules on degree courses about ethics. How should players behave? How should designers behave? What should designers do? Uh, is, is it ethical for designers to modify the game um, with A-B testing to um, see whether uh, some players are going to do things and some aren't? Because that's basically experimenting on players without permission. Yeah. And even if you slide something into the EULA to say that, it's still, you know that they haven't given your permission. You've just got it on paper to cover your back. So there's all these kind of issues. But... Um, for the future, the far future, the questions that haven't been asked, which um the ones that I'm concerned with, and sounds as if you are as well, is what to do when you're dealing with NPCs who have a form of sapience. So they're intelligent, as intelligent mm. as us. Uh, and you can say, well, sure, that's uh, that's a long way off. Yeah, it may well be a long way off. Then it could be just round the corner if we suddenly get quantum computers doing the, their stuff. Yeah. Um, and if it's a long way off, that doesn't mean we shouldn't um, think about it. Could be fifty years, could be five hundred years, could be five hundred thousand years. Eventually, we'll get there. Eventually, we'll have our moon-sized computers that will be able to do all this. Mm -hmm. And then, once we've got intelligent non-player characters, um, how should we treat them? The first thing is we haven't got. A system of ethics which describes what to do to them because effectively we are the gods of our worlds and we've created the worlds and in creating the worlds we're creating the environments that the non-player characters inhabit so whether we like it or not mm. what we're doing is affecting them it's shaping their behaviors mm -hmm. um for because players from reality will be visiting them the, their virtual worlds will reflect reality in some way because otherwise we wouldn't be able to make sense of it. So if there's mm. four different kinds of gravity coming from different directions, um, every time you blink, um, the colours changed. Um, if your ma magnets have got multiple poles, any of this stuff here, which you're having to try to uh, to accept, if it, the more the world is different from the default that is reality or mm. at least your expectations from playing other games then the, the the harder it is to buy into the world fiction so the world the virtual world we create will resemble at some level the reality because if it 
doesn't, we wouldn't be able to exist there. Mm. So the creatures we put into them must in some sense reflect us because they have to live in an environment that resembles ours. But that doesn't mean that they're going to have the same ethics as us. For example, if the virtual world has, like today's non-player characters, if you kill a non-player character, well, boo-hoo, five minutes later, it's back. They aren't mm -hmm. going to care. Yeah. So all our ethics to do with um, you know, thou, thou shalt not kill, yeah. well, it's not really death, is it? You know, it's, uh, it's like out of that Doctor Who episode where the Doctor, who's really anti-gun, shoots another Time Lord and says it's um, death's Time Lord for man flu. You know, it's just a minor Ill ailment on Gallifrey. Uh, so for us, um, our, our ethics, which are based on the reality, wouldn't mm. necessarily work there. And they might, in fact, they, the, the non-player characters, if they're free thinking, almost certainly would create their own system of ethics. Now, we can alter that um, by telling them things. We can alter that by changing the world. We can alter that by getting into their heads and programming them. Mm. But is it ethical? If someone is sapient, is it ethical to to mess with their free will, to go in their heads and give them ideas or prevent them from having other ideas? Because mm -hmm. then you're changing who they are. And if you're changing who they are, then in a sense, the old person has been destroyed. So you've basically killed them. You've, you may have created somebody new who looks just like them. But if you go in there and say, um, I don't want you thinking about um, poisoning the water supply, mm -hmm. um, so I'm going to stop that. Well, yeah, but then you've changed who they are. And and the person they was were isn't there anymore. Mm -hmm. And the reason they're poisoning the water supply was because you as a god, had created this little insect that um, lives in the water supply and um, burrows itself into people's eyes when it gets out. And um, and the, the, the non-player character thought that you obviously wanted to kill people, so that's why they were poisoning the water supply. They're hastening people's views to uh, uh, journey to heaven. Surely that's what you want. Heaven's a great place. So you don't know what their morals are going to be. And then so we have to decide now, what are we going to do? Are we just going to let them run their course? They could kill each other multiple times. They mm. could imprison each other. They could do all sorts of terrible things, or they may do wonderful things. But we don't know because they're free thinking. And we can set the environment up so that we think they'll go a particular way, but you don't know. One mm. personality might, might just change it. It's... I mean, a lot of these things are—they make for good fiction, right? So a lot of these kind of ideas, they make for good fiction, and there's some uh, good fiction out there that explores, you know, some aspects of this. Some, Less than you'd think. Um, a, a good book that comes to mind is uh, *Permutation City*, mm. which I'm not sure if you've read. Egan, Greg Egan, was it? Yes, yeah, yeah. yes. And uh, one of the things that struck me about that. Uh, book is that the there are people that become artificial in some way and they there's this whole kind of thing about the ethics of not being biological essentially yeah. and not being you know your original self but being a self still mm. um and that being run on some sort of computer or some other substrate that's yes the, that's the what i'm trying to say some other substrate um but they also take 
with them this idea that they can create some new beings and they create these new beings and these new beings kind of almost rebel against them and kind of mm -hmm. go against their curate, uh, creators, you know. Yeah. And they, they decide that actually the rules that are there are, you know, made for breaking, essentially. Um, and that's just ruined the book for you if you're going to read it. But... Uh, <laughs> well, yeah, the thing is, if you are a god of a world, you control mm. its physics. If you control its physics, then nothing the players can do in that world can harm you. Unless they you may allow be able it, to, I guess. Well, they may be able to get other people who visit the world to do things on their behalf in mm. the real world. But unless you create a robot in the real world and give the people in the virtual world access to it, they can't do anything to the real world. There I might would... be communication channels. They could maybe sue you or something in the yeah, real world. Yeah, 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 yeah. Exactly. Um... I, I guess that's the, the the virtual environment or whatever this environment is communicating outside of itself, and that's yes. a, that's a different thing altogether as well. Like because you'd you'd have to enable that um, mm, kind of yes. facilitation. I guess um, I don't like. I I kind of disagree with these things being able to harm you, um, and it kind of reminds me of what you said last time about harms that can occur through games and yeah. gaming because you 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 can be in a space even if it's virtual or whatever and someone can you know emotionally oh yes you. yes that can certainly happen yes and I mean, there's the no physicalities point of like yeah. you know flashing lights and things you know there's lots of things that actually as a human being can harm us which aren't necessarily direct you know Yes. Sort of being kicked yeah. Or, or... Um, yeah, I meant um, harm harm reality so more than yes. harm. Yes, okay. But, but yes, but yes, individuals, yes, they could. They, you yeah. could go into that world and they could um, cause you to fall in love with one of their characters and then kill them off and then you'll mm. be upset. And uh, Or they could hold them hostage and say, well, yes, the only way you can um, save them is by switching this world off and then you'll kill all 10 million of us. Mm -hmm, um, mm -hmm. Do you want that blood on your hands? So yep. they can do all sorts of things um, to to individuals who are visiting the world. But yep. if you just let it run and watch it without ever going there, then they can't do anything because you always have your finger on the control switch. So if you can switch it off, then mm -hmm. that's, that's that. That's it. Yeah. But do, if you, you give it control of nuclear weapons in the real world, then yeah. obviously no. I'm, uh, yeah, I'm pulling it. I'm pulling a face right now. That's, yeah. uh, <laughs> have, do, do you have this? This is kind of like a segueing to the simulation hypothesis, and I wonder if you have this intuition of it's kind of like turtles all the way down, right? Mm. If you have, if you set up a world and there's this kind of virtualized simulation of beings uh, however that manifests and these beings set up a world and that has other being you know what i mean and yeah. you have this kind of stacking yeah. effect occur mm -hmm. is that something that you think about or, or, or um yeah um at the moment our npcs aren't clever enough to do that but yeah. one day they will be um but that gives us interesting possibilities because we could take a non-player character from a sub sub world and move it to a sub world so players are, um, if we take it from the point of view of reality, mm -hmm. so imagine where the subworld, we create a virtual world, create a character, next day there's a knock on the door and it's the character we have just created. And we could do that in virtual worlds that are consequent on reality. Mm -hmm. We could also, if we really wanted to, move people from a subworld 
to a sub-sub world. So you create a virtual world. Mm -hmm. Next day, you go, you go to bed, wake up next day, and you're in the virtual world. We have moved you there. Mm -hmm. We've descended you into the virtual world because we can do that, because we're, we control everything below us. So that has a, a horrific knock-on effect for anyone who believes that they are currently in that stack, doesn't it, right? Well, it does. But if you look at the um, evidence from, I mean, I hesitate to use the word mm. mythology. If you use the accounts from um, his, um, historically uh, believed facts, um, some of which are mythology, some of which are religious, if you make it the distinction, um, we've never had that. Nobody has ever come down to um, Earth from a higher dimension which mm. they can demonstrate by you know showing us things unknown to science yeah. um, people may well have been abstracted up to a virtual world um, but to do that they would have to have been done it from two levels above so if there's a heaven and you've been the hardware upon which you run is no longer reality it's the reality of heaven well to move you up there there'd have to be a heaven above heaven to do mm. that mm -hmm, or mm -hmm. some yeah. uh, higher up than that and um, whether you'd want to go or not is another matter, because when we create virtual worlds, we tend to create them um, as improvements on reality. So when we make a virtual world, we want people to visit it. And people might want to visit life in a Soviet gulag as an educational thing. Mm -hmm. But in general, most virtual worlds are there because we want people to visit them. And that means that we cut out a lot of the sucky bits. So mm -hmm. when you go in a virtual world, um, death's not normally anywhere near as bad as it is in the, in the real world. Things like brushing your teeth, you don't really have to do that. So we cut a lot of the horrible bits out. But then if you think, well, maybe we're a virtual world, that means, my God, heaven must be worse because if we're better than heaven because they've made a better world, then yeah. who wants to go to heaven? It's a hell. Well, I guess the, the, I guess the using those terms is maybe having a a wrong effect right it's not heaven it's just it's a higher reality, higher reality some people yeah. will um um will will think of as heaven but yes yeah. if there's a high as if there's a reality above us chances mm. are it's not necessarily as good as ours in many respects at least from the perspective of the people who live in the higher reality um i like the idea of one of the things you said earlier about the fact that you know if we create a new world and it will have similarities to our world so any world that consists within this collection, yeah. um, <laughs> I'm trying to find new words in vocabulary that will make sense yeah. in this form, will have similarities, right? They will, they will, yes. they will have things which um, are shared concepts, essentially. Yes, yes. Um, and shared, you know, um, ways of being, you know, because I always thought that, um, maybe naively, we were powerful beings because of our imagination. But actually, maybe our imagination doesn't stretch past the, the things that we can see far enough that we can create worlds which would be so different, but still... Well, it's enjoyable. not that we can't we can create them, mm -hmm. um, but... Uh, and you can visit them. I mean, you, we, I, could, you know, I could easily make a, a world that consisted of nothing but numbers. And you could go to be that number and be the number 142857. Whether you could do much, well, that would depend on what the actions were. Maybe you could multiply yourself by yourself or something. But so you can, people can handle abstract um, ideas. But the purpose of going to other worlds, at least at the moment, the worlds we have, is in order to get to be yourself. 
so you need another world which is of reality but isn't reality so that's why they have to be similar enough that i can make predictions that if if i pull on the door handle the door should open i don't want to pull on the door handle and flowers grow in madagascar that yeah i mean that's a causal rule but why would that happen hmm. so um so you want the world to, to default to how reality works just so you don't have to think of every single action as have and figure out what the consequences are because mm -hmm. then you spend all your time doing that rather than whatever it was you wanted to do in the world the reason you went to the world it's well known in, um, in fiction circles um, that this is what you have to do you have a, a, a fiction which um, describes what's different about this world what you have to buy into for it to be true and then you go into the world and if the things there um, don't match up there needs to be a reason for it and mm. if the reason is within the fiction then okay it's fine yep. if it's not within the fiction then either you've not been told everything and but you trust it's there and you'll find out eventually or it's some kind of external factor i mean I, there's a example the game of thrones dragon example so uh, you watch Game of Thrones and none of the, well, not everybody does nowadays, but none of the leading characters ever wore hats. You know, they got a crown or a hood or something, they never wore hats. Now, why don't they wear hats? Well, one reason you could say, oh my God, you're right. They don't wear hats. We should put them in hats. Sorry. Our Another reason might be, yeah, well, they should wear hats, but if we gave them hats, then you wouldn't be able to tell them apart. You'd look at them all and they'll be wearing helmets and you wouldn't be able to see who the main characters are. So, mm. yeah, it's it's an out of fiction ex, um, explanation. Yep. Now, they could co have covered that with an in fiction explanation. So even though that's the real reason they don't want people to wear hats, they say, ah, well, wearing, not wearing a hat is a sign of rank. Mm -hmm. If you don't wear a hat, that means it shows that you are unafraid and uh, the leader must be unafraid. Therefore, that's why you don't wear it. Now, that would be a perfectly good explanation. What would be a really bad explanation is saying, this is a world that's got dragons. You believe in the dragons. You're perfectly okay with that. Why aren't you okay with hats? Mm -hmm. well, because the dragons are important. Hats aren't important. The dragons are covered by the fiction. The hats aren't. If, yeah. if, if, drag, if you're saying dragons and hats are equally important, you're not saying um, that hats are as important as dragons. You're saying dragons are as important as hats. You're, you're throwing it away. So, so this is why we have to have this realisticness, this very similitude, so that mm. players can keep hold of the things they need to know and not add to the cognitive load of remembering all the other things they have to remember. Because yeah. that's really not what you want. I mean, enough people have trouble with... Um, dealing with regular people what the heck are they doing what are they thinking never mind having to do the same thing about the world in general mm -hmm. um but yes as a consequence of this any worlds that we create are going to be similar to us at some level and any worlds that they create are going to be similar to their world at some level mm -hmm. and therefore we'll um, some abstraction of our world similarly if you want to go upwards reality is an abstraction or a, a a version of a higher and each and each higher reality is going to be the mm. same so if you're of the opinion that god made man in his own image well there's your explanation that's why because you can't visit the world if you don't relate to it well you can visit it but it's, it's there's no 
you don't want to yeah. live there. Yeah, that's right. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. I, I like the fact that you, the, you know, if there was a higher order level above us, they would just be having to brush their teeth all the time. Or, you know, there's so much like boring yes. drudgery going on. Yeah. Well, the other thing is um, when I talk about we create um, planets sized computers or moon sized or however big you want them to be, um, Dyson spheres, yeah, five, five million years from now. Um, computers with such power that any non-player characters that they control will be smarter than we are. So we're creating a world with characters that are smarter than, than we humans are. And then that leaves open the possibility, well, just a moment, if we shift that up a bit, might we be smarter than the people who created us? If there is a level above us. Yep. So it could be that the gods are duffers. That um, either you go up and um, and they're smarter and smarter and smarter until you run out of smarter, or they're less smart, less smart, less mm-hmm. smart until they're no intelligence at all, or there's nothing above us. Yes, finite. yeah, yeah, yeah. Then maybe there's a level which was the original, and it's just enough intelligence to kick this thing off. Yeah, or it doesn't need intelligence to kick it off. It could have just developed by pure chance, and then. Mm. Um, then that kicks you off. That, that could be the case with the real world. This could be just a, re, a, a pure chance pocket of multiple conceivable probabilities and um, mm. and we're the ones who happen to have made it. The other thing to mention is time. Um, not that actually we're running out of it, but uh, mm. um, if we create a, a virtual world at the moment, pretty well we have to use um, discrete time. Um, in part because our computers use discrete time, although they don't have to. You can have um, operators that don't run to a system clock. They're asynchronous, but mm. we've never done that. You can have multiple threads, but there's always a system clock, and the system clock mm. makes it discrete. So there's a tick, and the tick might be very quickly. It might be so many fra- millions of frames a second, yep. but nevertheless, it's discrete. Whereas the world we live in doesn't seem to be discrete. It seems to be continuous. And all the experiments that we've run that would detect whether it was discrete have yet to show Mm. up anything. So light coming from vast distances, if time was discrete, would be um, deflected in ways that it isn't, for example. Mm. Now, it may be that we just haven't looked close enough and and there is some constant that that, that means it. But... What we can say is that every world that we create from there onwards, downwards, would have to use discrete time because it's using discrete time. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, but the worlds, if there are any above us, don't have to use discrete time. They could use continuous time. We could be continuous or discrete. We don't know yet, but it's probably continuous. Um, which you, means... Sorry. I guess... Um... If we were making it today, that would be the truth. That would be yeah. the case. But if you had this giant yes. moon-sized machine, yes. then maybe we could engineer it in a way that, um, yeah. provided yeah, that we be. are continuous, it then, you know, was maybe graph-based or, or job-based instead of yeah, tick-based. Um, you know, quantum in some fashion. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it, it could be like that. Yes. Mm. Yeah. Um, but at the moment, it's discrete all That's the way down. That's not the down. case. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> exactly. Um, <laughs> well, I'm I'm hoping that I I almost feel like the discreteness 
is a useful concept if it is true, because then we can, you know, we have a, for this, this kind of more of a physical reality conversation, isn't it? you know, it changes the, the way that we can look at our physical reality. Um, mm. But if it is continuous, it's kind of like you go in one side and come out the other. Like, what actually yeah. is that? What, yeah, how, how, is do that? You, how do you save the state of reality? We can save yeah. the state of the discrete time-based one because we can just take a snapshot at one tick. But if there's no discrete, well, uh, taking yeah. the time shot, oh, it'll have to be instant. And, yeah, ah. what does that look, you know, what does that all yeah. mean? <laughs> that, yeah, exactly. Um, do you have an intuition, uh, we were talking earlier about kind of like this benevolent um, system or architect, and, and do you have this um, intuition around um, what would be good, what would be ethical, what the kind of structure would be if we did create a system like this? Um, how we should behave, you know? Well, the, the, the thing with the word should is um, you've got, you've, it's always got to be qualified. So if you want this, then you should do that. Mm -hmm. um, from my perspective, if I want to create a world full of free thinking individuals, then I should not interfere with them once I've let them rip. Mm -hmm. Um and if it looks as though they're destroying themselves, and even if they're appealing with mm -hmm. um, what they think of as prayers and I think of as um, bug reports, uh, I I should ignore that because I've given them the free will. Now, I can berate myself for having done it badly, and people could take me to court in the real world for having brought into being this these immense numbers of people who I have caused to suffer unnecessarily. But that would be my problem. Mm -hmm. That would be down on me. Um, if you create people to be sapient, then you, nobody else, but you at the very least have to treat them as if they are sapient because you created them to be sapient. Mm -hmm. So you must treat them as they must be morally considerable. You must be able to consider them morally. So that's what we uh, that's what I would say. Let them be. Yeah. It's immoral. Um, if you change their way of thinking, then you have changed who they are, and that's just as bad as killing them. So don't. But you couldn't, um, as you described earlier, kind of walk among them or interact with them on their level, essentially. You could, you could, yes. Yeah. I mean, you could do the um, Henry V thing and walk around your troops pretending you're not the king just to find out what the king's like. Mm -hmm. But you don't have to do that. Uh, but, you, but you could if you wanted to. Um, yeah. There are plenty of examples in accounts across the world of gods who will wander among us to find out how who we're like and what we do and and so on mm -hmm. it's it's not unprecedented in historical accounts yes. um, whether they're you believe them or not yes I'm, yeah. I'm doing the air quotes again historical well, um, quotes. i'm not doing so i don't want to get lynched by people who follow the peruvian god who who did that but still <laughs> <laughs> um i I'm, i feel fervently about this the these sorts of things so i I'm, I'm happy to express my opinions on them do you i mean i feel like we're getting towards the end now but i really um i want to really bring it back to like um more kind of the, the techno physicality of it so do you have a, a, an idea of like whether we're on the right track so we've got these these technologies we've got these things um, you know, we've got this um, random tree searches and we have neural networks and we have all these different kind of mechanisms that we can pull on. Um, are we missing something? Is it the answer? 
can we just extrapolate these things out? How, how do you feel about that situation? At the moment, um, the AI techniques we have are very powerful in their own areas, but they're not leading to what you would call sapiens, um, free-thinking individuals. Um, and if they were, then people who routinely switch them on and off to run experiments should be prosecuted. Right. Um, so they're not anywhere near that level. Um, but that doesn't mean that in time they will, there won't be. Um, in time, there will be um, machines made which one way or another can think. I mean, if they can argue with us that they can think, mm -hmm. they pretty well can think. I mean, that's the Turing test for you. Yeah. You might say, oh, well, look, dolphins, they're really smart. And octopuses or octopi, whatever. They're really smart. Yeah, well, they are. Yeah, but they're not going you, you wouldn't give them a vote in the elections. But if a machine can come along and say, look, I'm really smart. And you say, no, you're not. You're just bits in the database. And they say, well, you're just bits in the database. No, I'm not. Well, neither am I. But I made you. Well, someone made you. But, but you know, yeah. so if they can actually argue and you think, well, yeah, OK, maybe they've got a point. Well, then then you could bestow personhood on them. Um, in fact, you probably want to because uh, later on, the much, much smarter ones will uh, um, persecute you for not having done that. <laughs> um, I, I feel like... That I mean, for me, this like comes back to uh, well, not comes back to, but is this idea that you know they're they're speaking to us on our level? Essentially, they're coming up to. So, I mean, the pre prerequisite for them being smarter than us is having is being on our level and being actually actually yes, they have to go through our level. Yes, yes I, I would yeah, expect yeah, yeah. it. Would have to. It would be evolutionary rather than revolutionary that they would suddenly. We've made this thing, and whoa, it's smarter than us. Mm -hmm. I, I, I would expect that. It doesn't mean it's not like that, yep. but it, I would expect a um, an evolutionary increase in in, in understanding. And, uh, and then mm -hmm. at some point, there will be a, a step change where previously they had dog-like intelligence, say, yep. um, with no self-awareness and um, no capacity to reflect on their past actions, and then suddenly because of the, the new architecture of their brains, they they can do that. It yeah. is a faculty they suddenly have. There may be faculties beyond what we have, which they could then gain, which would make them smarter than us. Or it may just be that they they can do what we do, but they've got more memory and faster computing power, and so can do it a lot quicker. And I guess tap into, you know, if they're a different substrate, like they can tap into yeah. the, the possibilities of that substrate. Yes. Um, so yes. you know, if you're if you have access to all the databases in the world, then suddenly you can tinker around with, you know, all these bits of information. I guess. Yes. If if you have um, all those, I mean, there was a mm. film in the '60s where um, they had a was it called Colossus or mm. Goliath or something? Yeah. Um, yeah. But yeah, and it um, created it was you know they gave it control over nuclear arsenals and military and mm -hmm. and then um then it used that to blackmail people into doing its its will um making copies of itself and so on. so the idea is not new um whether we'd be stupid enough to do that given that every single piece of science fiction on the subject has said don't do that mm -hmm. um i don't know i expect some people who are immensely rich and um with time on their hands will attempt to do that 
Um, but no way can they get into everybody's databases. Uh, well, on that note, I think um, if you haven't got anything else that is um, no burning burning things, now. yes, then we'll we'll call it at that point. Um, thank you again for Richard for t- talking to us uh, a second time. How can people follow you, contact you, find out about you? Um, well, um, they can look at my website, which is. Um, out of date well when i say out of date it never was in date um it's like from 1997 mm-hmm. does get added to that's um mud.co.uk richard they can email me richard at mud.co.uk um although since i get a thousand spam emails a day on that thing they might prefer to use rabartle at essex.ac.uk which um tends to be easier to get through mm-hmm. on that's it. I don't use other social media because I realise they're a time sink. Um, I am on Facebook. You can connect me to me there. And I've got mm. a blog on my website. Q blog, it's called. But... Awesome. Uh, thank you so much. My pleasure. Hello and welcome to the end of the podcast. Thanks again to Richard for spending a second time with us. I was really looking forward to getting Richard back to dive into more of these meta questions around virtualization, virtual beings, AI, uh, creating virtual minds and ethics and rights thereof. I hope you enjoyed it. I find it really interesting how it's kind of a big logic puzzle of virtual things going on and it's fun to get your mind around it and play around with those ideas. If you have any ideas for other topics that we can cover in future, do let us know at hello at machine-ethics.net and of course if you can please support the podcast at patreon.com forward slash machine ethics you can also contact us or me directly for sponsorships talks or consultation thanks again for listening and i'll see you next time